people who are sort of coming at the kinds of issues I deal with in my practice from a different perspective. And I think that's going to be really valuable. I mean, I'm hoping that I can provide value to some of these folks and that Foley can provide some value to some of these folks and that we can contribute and help them achieve their ambitious business goals that are driving them through this program. Everyone has a dream. And some people's dreams take them to extraordinary places. David Simon is one of those people. Tune in every quarter to learn how a 50-something lawyer from the U.S. navigates the ancient world of Oxford College in pursuit of an MBA. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and welcome to the premiere edition of A Yank at Oxford. This podcast will tell the story of David Simon and his journey to the University of Oxford Syed Business School Executive MBA program. So, David, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome, and I'm thrilled that we are going to catalog your experience as a Yank at Oxford. Thanks, Tom. I'm excited to walk through this with you. It'll be fun. David, could you tell us your professional background? Yeah, so I am, as I said in my, actually, Oxford admission essay, where I had to explain why a 53-year-old partner in a white shoe law firm was going to go to business school. I've been practicing law. I actually just had my 25th anniversary with my firm, Foley and Lardner, where I've been based. I live in Wisconsin. I've been based in the Milwaukee office. I keep an office and I'm admitted in Washington, but I'm I'm basically Wisconsin-based. And I've been practicing law, as I said, 25 years, mostly in the area of sort of white-collar crime, compliance, internal investigations, and with a really heavy international focus. You and I have talked a lot about FCPA and FCPA compliance over the years, and that's been a big part of my practice for some time. David, what are some of the other areas that are in, one, a typical white-collar practice, but more specifically, your white-collar practice in addition to the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act? Yeah, so, hey, I mean, I do, my practice touches a lot on some of the sanctions and international trade kinds of issues that typically come up on international matters. I do a lot of just sort of more general international compliance, international internal investigations, enforcement actions that sort of have cross-border aspects to it, that sort of thing. That's been a, always been a part of my practice. Occasionally, I'll do some environmental, you know, US EPA, DOJ, environmental enforcement work, some sort of conflicts of interest in straight old fraud kind of matters come in from time to time. But by and large, the stuff I love the most and the stuff I, I that fills most of my plate is international or cross-border. So you've said international several times. I'm aware of the scope of some of your international work, but I was wondering if you could tell us about your work, I believe as a co-founder of the Concilium Network, but you also have developed a practice area or an expertise in India. So I was wondering if you could tell us about that. I know you've had several trips over the years to India. I think you and a India-based law firm jointly uh, put some firm newsletters out here in the United States. So could you tell us about the Concilium Network and then your your work specifically in the country of India? Yeah, for sure. So Concilium is a project that I've been working on with a number of my colleagues who have similar practices to mine, but in different parts of the world. So we have some international offices, but we're not a 
uh, boots on the ground in every jurisdiction sort of law firm. And given the nature of our practice and our client needs, frankly, almost all of our clients are international in some form or another. So we identified a need to have a really pretty tight network of practitioners who do this kind of work. You know, one of the other things we've noticed through the years is a lot of law firms have boots on the ground in various jurisdictions, but they're not the kind of white collar compliance internal investigation specialists that we really need for our kind of work to collaborate with. So we put together a group and we've been together in various forms for quite a while with specialists in the kind of stuff you and I do. And really, I just think some of the best lawyers in this space in the world. And it's been really great. I mean, in addition to just having a good sort of network of talent, we know each other, we've worked together, we've socialized together. And so we have a lot of trust and there's a lot of sort of seamlessness to the way we handle our matters for clients. I just got to tell you too, I mean, personally, super rewarding. I mean, some of my best friends are colleagues that have developed through that Concilium network. It's been great to travel the world with them and get to know them and to establish deep friendships with some really talented and impressive people. Uh, so that's Concilium. So India is sort of related. We have an India member, Panag and Babu, and my really very close friend, Shabir Panag, is one of the co-founders of the Concilium network with me. We've worked together. You know, my work in India just started, you know, kind of, I think, typical for an FCPA type practice where we've had U.S. clients with matters, bribery issues that have come up in their India subsidiaries, and we've gone over to help investigate and remediate the problem and sometimes deal with regulators on their behalf. That kind of is where it started, but I've had a number of cases of that nature that have led to, as you said, I think I've been to India now eight times, maybe nine. I'm sort of losing track, but I've been there a bunch of times, handled a bunch of matters, both compliance and investigation work for our clients. And I've really built my network there. I've gotten to know a lot of people. In addition to Shabir, we've started to do more work for India companies that are coming into the U.S. and have legal problems in the U.S. We've had the good fortune of getting engaged to do some more of that nature too. It's been really good. I love India. I, it's now been coming up on two years since I've been last with COVID, obviously, it's been it's been impossible, but I'm really itching to get back and see my friends and reconnect. So, David, let me take a step back and ask you where you went to undergrad and then where you went to law school. And I believe you were a Pegasus scholar. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, sure. So I went to my undergraduate University of Wisconsin, Madison. I'm a Badger. And then I went to University of California at Berkeley for law school. And the Pegasus Scholarship was actually sort of one of the seeds that led to this Oxford venture that we're going to talk about in this series. But the Pegasus Scholarship is something done through the American Inns of Court. It's a legal professional organization I think most people have some familiarity with. And they sponsor for members, they sponsor essentially an exchange program. It's global and has different aspects in different countries. But for the U.S., they send a couple people over to the U.K. to really sort of immerse themselves in the English and Scottish 
legal systems, which are different, which I learned and didn't know before. I got to spend three months there between my judicial clerkship and when I started at Foley and Lardner. And it was so great. I mean, we essentially were slotted in as pupils to senior barristers. So I got to work, basically got to sit and shadow an unbelievably talented barrister whose name is David Vaughn, who's now deceased, but just an incredible guy. We got to spend, we got to visit all the courts. We spent a week riding circuit with a judge. You know, they have separate housing for the judges because they still kind of ride the circuit in the UK, at least they did then. And so we stayed at the judicial residence and spent time with the judges and sat with, sat through court. And it was just a great experience. I really learned so much and admired the people so much that I got to work with through that. So David, it turns out that one of your experiences as a Pegasus scholar took you to Cambridge, not Oxford, but the Oxbridge educational experience. I was wondering if you could tell us your remembrances of Cambridge and really how that sort of started you down the path to what we're going to explore in this podcast. Yes. That was one of the things we did is we spent a weekend with some Australian Pegasus scholars who were studying at Cambridge. I mean, it was really so great. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have been to Oxford or Cambridge and just what an unbelievably cool just space and place it is. And we were able to have dinner in one of the dining halls and tour the libraries and the grounds. And it kind of blew my mind, actually. At the time, I was so smitten by the whole experience. I actually spent about a month trying to figure out if there was some way I could stay in Cambridge and maybe get a degree and maybe figure out a way to qualify as a barrister because it was just so great. And practical realities kind of quickly turned that harebrained scheme around and I came home and got a real job. But, you know, it's one of those things, it's sort of, it was like Harry Potter before Harry Potter, right? Just having that experience, seeing real world Hogwarts was really impactful for me. And I always wanted to have that experience as a, like a double public school person, that old time private traditional university experience was really attractive. So yeah, that was a seed. It took like 27 years to sprout, but it sprouted. Well, and that sprouted by this fall, you'll be joining the University of Oxford SIAD Business School Executive MBA program. So let me start off, David, by asking why this program and why now? Yeah, so this program, I'll do that one first. So I really was only interested in truly global programs. I really wanted to be exposed to really the global market, the global economy, global business leaders. And there are only a few of them that really have that focus. And then Oxford sort of stood out for me first because the whole Hogwarts thing, right? It, it was attractive in that sense. But one of the things I really liked about the Oxford program, it was a really meaty substantial program, right? Some of the other programs I looked at were more seminary where you'd go for eight one-week sessions and you'd hear talks and it didn't feel as much like a real MBA to me. And Oxford really does. It's a full on, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, 
frankly, gives me some anxiety how full on it is and how much work is. There's a real program, which I like. I like the fact that it had a base, a center. One of, some of the other programs we were looking at were more kind of itinerant and you'd be in a different city each week of the session. Oxford's really based in Oxford. There's a couple sessions outside of Oxford, but you're there. You're part of the place, which was really attractive to me as well. And then I guess the last thing is they do a great job, at least it appears to me that they do a great job of really making you part of the university, right? It's not just like EMBAs typically, they'll come in on a weekend in their suits and ties and then leave. Oxford, we join a college. We're, I'm a member of Keeble College. We have access to the Oxford Union, which I'll join. I mean, we're not going to be like real students because we're not there all the time, but we are part of the university and integrated into it. And that was real attractive to me as well. David, I've looked at getting an MBA from time to time over the years, and two things have really prevented me. One, I'm not sure I want to take a GRE, but probably even more importantly, I'm not sure I could handle the quantitative portion of it. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the curriculum, and is it going to be a heavily quantitative And if so, how are you going to overcome that? So first off, Tom, I got to wave out of the GRE, which you probably could too if you decide to to resurrect this plan. I'm terrified of the quantitative stuff. I really am. And actually, one of my first sessions in the first module, which starts in about a little bit more than a week, one of our first courses is analytics. And I was nervous about that. But then they gave you like a five-page maths as they say in UK, review. And I looked at the review document. And I'm like, I don't understand any of this. I don't know what any of these symbols mean. I have no earthly idea what you're talking about. So I am very nervous about it. I have not really done math for probably, I mean, a lot of us went to law school, so we didn't have to do math, right? So I'm nervous about it. And I don't know how it's going to go. I may be looking for tutors, but I'm diving in and we'll see. What are some of the other parts of the curriculum that attracted you other than, of course, the quantitative that we see in many MBA programs? One of the other things about Oxford that I liked and about this program, so they have some, some sort of core themes to their curriculum. One is global, which I talked about before. Another is entrepreneurship. The school's very sort of aggressively promoting entrepreneurship and innovation. And that's always been something that's interested me. You know, you and I have talked about some of our our ideas and programs we've done to try to use technology to bring more efficiency and more effectiveness to legal services. It's something I've always been interested in. So that's another component of it. The third thing is Oxford also has sort of a broader sort of public policy aspect to the curriculum. There's a lot more emphasis beyond just sort of finance, how finance can be used to facilitate development in Africa. I'm just making that up. But there's a lot more sort of what I would consider to be more policy-oriented aspects to the business curriculum. It's really business in the global world that we're living in. And I don't want to get super like idealistic here, but there's an idealistic aspect to it of business to do some good things in the world as well as just maximizing profits. And that was attractive to me. David, I have taken a couple of courses in Oxford over the years, 
And the actual academic part is actually the smallest part of the experience, both in the course with your colleagues, your fellow students, your lecturers, tutors, professors, whatever you may have, the dinners, those sorts of things. And of course, the stunning beauty of the city of Oxford near Blenheim Castle, the architecture, the museums. What are some of your goals around the other aspects of an Oxford education and how are you going to achieve those at least partially virtually? Yeah, so I think you hit on a bunch of aspects of this that really appeal to me. And I'm going to do my best to take advantage of all of that. One of the things, one of my colleagues who did an executive MBA 20 years ago advised me when I was sort of starting down this path to, to like, to define success, not as sort of how you do academically, you want to pass, but as long as you pass, you're good. And that is, if you pass with like the lowest grade, but you've managed to have a drink with all your classmates and know their first names, declare it a success. And I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I had sort of two reasons for sort of heading down this path in general of getting an EMBA. One was the global network and getting to know people. I'm already, I'm sort of just starting to meet my classmates, but I'm super impressed by them already. And I can tell the cohort is about what I hoped it would be from all over the world. Very accomplished people, very impressive backgrounds, really, really a great, great group. I'm going to work really hard at that. That's actually my number one goal. And then in terms of the other stuff in Oxford, I just think one of the advantages of doing this a little bit older is I do have some of that perspective of this is a once in a lifetime opportunity and I am going to go to the Oxford Union and see a debate and I am going to try to see as many of the, I think, 100 plus libraries as that there are on campus. And I'm hoping my wife's going to come and spend some time with me and visit and we're going to do some of this together. And I want to suck it all in. That's a big part of the process for me. So let me switch gears just a little bit because you have publicly announced you're going to continue the full-time practice of law. So that really leads me to ask, how has Foley supported you in this process? But more importantly, how do you hope this academic experience will impact your legal services and perhaps even the firms? Yes. So first, I mean, my colleagues have been great and I have really the good fortune of having a bunch of partners that we work together a lot on a lot of different matters and we like to work together on stuff and I trust and rely on them completely. So, I mean, this is going to be sort of a team effort in terms of keeping the practice rolling, but I'm really confident that we're going to be able to make that work. I mean, sort of like the analytics, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work. I'm not sure how this all ultimately happens, but I don't have really any choice but to dive in and start and see how it goes. So I think that's going to be fine, and we'll just figure it out. In terms of sort of the the goals, the professional goals, how I see it affecting my practice going forward, I mean, there are two pieces of it. One is what I was talking about before, which is the global network, right? I have a really good global network right now of lawyers who practice, you know, sort of do what I do, which has been super valuable. and like a great, really personally and professionally a great part of my career. What I'm hoping this will give me is sort of a broader and maybe a concentric circle of relationships 
with non, you know, with business people, with political leaders, with people who are sort of coming at the kinds of issues I deal with in my practice from a different perspective. And I think that's going to be really valuable. I mean, I'm hoping that I can provide value to some of these folks and that Foley can provide some value to some of these folks and that we can contribute and help them achieve their ambitious business goals that are driving them through this program. But the other piece of it I haven't really talked about as much on the substantive side, the things I like best about my practice are being a strategic advisor to my clients at a high level. That's one of the things I love about the FCPA practice is that it's usually when you're dealing with an FCPA issue, it's usually high enough stakes that you're getting C-suite board level attention and interaction. You're really in a position to help guide senior management of a company through a really potentially catastrophic situation. And I love that. I find it very rewarding. To continue to develop as a really valuable strategic advisor, I think I need to expand my knowledge base as well. You know, there's stuff that my non-lawyer clients know and in a language they speak that I'm not, it's sort of foreign to me right now. And I want to learn it better. And I want to understand their business problems. I think one of my beliefs about just the legal practice generally is that we're not as siloed now as we were 20 years ago. And I think we're going to be much less siloed. We're going to be much more part of a broader business advisory sort of professional profession. So to be able to fill in my skill set and be able to understand some of the problems that relate to legal problems, but maybe aren't precisely legal problems, I think I'll just be better at it. I'll be a better advisor. I'll be able to bring more value to my clients. At least that's my hope. David, we've kind of hit it around about the fact this is a both in-person and virtual experience, but I was wondering if we were able to focus on that. And if I could ask you, what does your physical schedule and travel schedule look like for the next couple of years now? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it's designed to be an in-person program, but we're all dealing with COVID and the uncertainties of COVID. So as of right now, the first session that's coming up in about 10 days is all virtual. So we're doing a week in September. Then we have a week in November and a week in December that are both scheduled to be hybrid. So it's going to be sort of student choice, whether you want to try to do it virtual or whether you want to go to Oxford and participate. It's my intention to go for both of those sessions. I've got plane tickets. So I'm going to be staying in, in my college dorm while I'm there, which will be an interesting experience after a number of years of not having that experience. But I'm planning to go. I mean, I don't want to do a virtual EMBA. That's not a point for me. Getting back to the relationships and the richness of Oxford, I just think you got to be there to do that. So that's my plan. Going forward, we have, it's not quite, somewhere in between quarterly and monthly, we have a session and it's a week at a time. Starts on a Monday, ends on a Friday. There's a January, there's a February, I think April. I mean, it's pretty regular through September of 2023. I think we have a total of 12 sessions scheduled. One, I think, is actually in Delhi, or at least I'll probably go to Delhi, one international session. It's going to be interesting to manage my schedule, but I'm hoping it gets kind of easy once you sort of figure it out. And London, I fly O'Hare, London to, there's 10 flights a day from London to O'Hare to 
Heathrow. So that's pretty easy. And I've got housing, as I said, at the college. So we'll see. I mean, fingers crossed. I'm anticipating to get some pretty serious miles on United. And hopefully by the end of it, I'll start getting some upgrades to business class on my way, on my way over. David, what are you most looking forward to from this experience? I really do think it's the relationships. And I know I sound a little bit like a broken record on that topic, but I love the idea of meeting new people, having an opportunity to do something that's fairly intense and fairly important and meaningful together, and particularly at this stage of life. I mean, I'm 53 years old. Some of the stuff that I'm most anxious about, I'm also most excited about just kind of pushing myself, pushing myself out of my comfort zone, having the chance to to really bond with a new group of people that I think are going to be really awesome. I think that's what I'm most looking forward to. So, David, we have a special bonus question for this episode because you're in the, uh, I think, unique position of going to college at the same time your kids are going to college. So. I was wondering, have you had those discussions at home or did you before they started this fall semester? And what's that part of your experience going to be like? Yeah, so I actually think it's funny because I think going through the college selection and tour process with my kids kind of started getting me thinking about this because it's so fun just to be around it on campus. I think it's kind of cool. I don't know. I mean, as cool as they can think college age kid can think about their dad doing anything. My daughter right now is taking business law and we've negotiated a deal where I'm going to help her with business law if she helps me with accounting and finance. So she's more of a numbers person than I am. So I hopefully we'll find an opportunity to share experiences. And, and I think a lot of the, they're both in business school too. So I think there's going to be a fair amount of overlap and I'm hoping they can help me because I'm probably going to need some help. I can't think of a better way to end our first podcast than on that note, David. Kudos to you. Congratulations. Uh, I'm certainly going to revel in your experience, and I can't wait to get together uh, with you in a month or two or maybe three, and you can share some of the first experiences you have as a Yank in Oxford. Looking forward to it.